2: Fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go
0: Chargers, go! This is the Lightning Round Podcast at Garrett Sisti and at Lightning underscore round to break down the Chargers thrashing of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And today we're just going to jump right into it. And let's, before we begin and start to talk about what happened on the field, let's talk about what happened before the game, because linebacker Denzel Perryman, safety Roderick Teemer were sent home early because they missed a morning meeting, so they were not there on Sunday, and we saw no Perryman or Teemer.
1: Yeah, kind of interesting. Um, Very interesting. It's hard to get a read on how I feel about this. Not that I'm torn up about them sending either one of these guys home, but was it a one-off thing? Was there more to the story than what they're saying? Because I mean, granted, you don't want to miss a team meeting, but is missing a team meeting so bad that it warrants sending them home early? Or did they were they maybe out all night and miss curfew and then miss the meeting? I mean, it seems like there's something more going on than just missing the team meeting, especially when you're talking about sending Perriman home, who's a team leader, um, a guy who they look to for you know emotional leadership and physical leadership on the field. And granted he's lost his his starting spot on the defense to Drew Tranquil. Thank you by thank you for that, by the way, coaches. Yeah. We applaud that. Thank you. Yep. Uh huh. And you know, you'd think maybe you miss a meeting after, you know, years of being a leader on the team. Maybe they shut you down for the first quarter or the first half, or they tell you, okay, you can't dress. So it just seems like there's something they're not telling us, like there's something there's more there. And of course I'm speculating. Um, you know, with teamer, it's like, well, there's really no place for him to play anymore except special teams now that Phillips and James are back. But with Perriman, you know, you leave yourself thin at the at the linebacker position. You lose some of that leadership on the sideline. So kind of wonder if maybe there's something else going on that they're not telling us. And of course we probably won't find out, but just an interesting, almost kind of a knee jerk reaction. If it is a one-off thing, you know, kind of feel like it's a knee jerk, kind of like what we talked about with Des King last week, benching him as the punt returner. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of an overreaction, unless there is more to it that they're not telling us.
0: Yeah. When I first heard the news, I just assumed that Teamer and Perryman had gotten to a fight and they had both, you know, gone at it and they sent them home early because missing a meeting, well, it obviously deserves some kind of punishment, but sending them home early seems maybe an overreaction. You know, uh, it's pretty strict, especially like you're mentioning for a guy who's a locker room guy, one of those veterans that they brought back this year you seem like you might let that slide a little bit, Roger Teamer. Again, I understand he's not really part of the plan with Derwin and Adrian back. And, you know, he's young. uh, Obviously, uh, it's suspect. But um, speculation aside, this is a lost season. And you have two players, one of which, again, is one of their glue guys. They miss something as minimal as a team meeting. That is really not good for optics. I mean, if you're one of those who are claiming Lynn is losing the locker room, this is definitely some ammunition because – this is little stuff. This is stuff that it, you don't, you should not be worrying about. You should not be worrying about curfew, about fighting, about meetings. Everybody should just be doing their job. This is the end of the year. Everybody knows what to expect now. And then when it happens with a guy like Denzel Perryman, it's very, very suspect. And you know, I do hope whether Perryman is in the doghouse now or not, that Drew Tranquil keeps his starting gig, which we all assume he will. And also, Kaiser Wake continues to get some extended play because again, he played well. And you know, going forward. Perryman returning this team in 2020—that the chances of that is getting slimmer. Uh, even before this whole thing that happened with the meeting, it was slim to begin with. It's even slimmer now. They owe him 8.5 million in 2020. They can save 6.5 million in cutting him this offseason. He lost his job. You know, it, it's going to be time for the Chargers to return that hammer to their nearest supply store uh,
1: this even, offseason. Even with saving that one
0: uh, <laughs> weeks, I've been working on that for weeks. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it it just seems like Perryman is uh, is probably going to be done with the Chargers this season and or after the season, and uh, a very strange occurrence for these two to be missing something so small as a morning meeting.
1: Yeah, and don't get me wrong, you know, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite. I'm not saying they shouldn't be penalized because they definitely should if they're missing meetings. Right, right. It just seems like a like an overreaction. You know, like I said, bench him for the quarter, bench him for a half. Don't dress him. Tell him he's got to sit on the sideline and he can't dress. There are a lot of ways you can hold a a veteran accountable, but to send him home, you know, you wonder if there are other problems that we haven't heard about in the locker room. If he's, you know, throwing tantrums over not over losing his starting job to a rookie Uh, could be any number of things. And we're speculating here, but just, it was just surprising to hear that that's what got him sent home was just missing a meeting. It just seems like a minor thing and a, a very large reaction.
0: Yeah, because even if you are gonna sit him out the game, it would be beneficial. You would think to have him on the sideline to coach up guys and talk to these younger guys like Kaiser White and um, Drew Tranquil and Drew Tranquil and Mekeg Boule and even Uchenna Nwosu. You know, some of these younger guys. If he is that veteran and he is controlling that, you know, linebacker core with uh, Thomas Davis, like they were talking about in the offseason, you you think you'd want him on the sideline to at least talk them up and tell them what they're seeing and uh, what they could do better or what they did good at, but to send them home early and not even be on the sideline uh, is, you know, like I mentioned, it's very it suspect
1: makes it seem like there's like I said, there's something else going on, whether he's a problem in the locker room now because he's not playing or, you know, whatever he missed curfew, whatever it might be. It sounds like this is a small part of a larger problem. That they're just not revealing at this time, and they may never reveal it. It may just, you know, it may just get revealed in the sense that they cut him at the end of the year, which I think they were heading in that direction anyway. Um, and we don't hear from him anymore. But very curious, we'll say curious, a yeah. curious decision to send him home when you rave constantly about his leadership on the field and how he's your hammer, and you know everybody looks up to him and he provides energy for the defense. Which, by the way, I think there are a lot of other guys doing that now. So maybe. You know, yep. maybe they realize that energy for the defense and and uh, you know being that emotional leader isn't worth the eight million dollars they thought it was.
0: Yeah, so let's uh, let's jump into this game because I think there's a lot of talking points. You know, uh, a lot of these games it was really hard to break down, but there was so many good things that happened on Sunday. Even in a lost season, there was a lot of great things we could talk about. And why don't we uh, why don't we go ahead and start? And we can uh, why don't we start with Philip Rivers?
1: Yeah, uh, Rivers played great. You know, sixteen to twenty-two for three fourteen, three scores I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you know, two of those six incompletions were drops. Two of them were some of the best decisions he's made all year, throwing the ball away uh, deep in uh, Jacksonville territory in the two, the second two minute drill they ran at the end of the first half when they got, basically got a three for one there at the end of the. Th- the end of the second quarter and beginning of the third quarter where, you know, they were trying to get a quick score with about 20 seconds left on the clock. They ran a play. Nobody was open. He threw it out of bounds. Next play. They wanted to go deep to Mike Williams. He was covered with the safety of the top rivers. Just threw it out of bounds right away to to save the field goal. So two really good decisions there in situations where we've seen him put the ball at risk in more than one occasion in the red zone. He protects the football. They get their points twice at the end of the half there to really kind of salt the game away. And I mean, he was razor sharp and even two of the drops were balls that probably should have been caught. So, Mm uh, one of them was a tough one. He kind of overthrew Hunter Henry a little bit. He had to dive for it. The other one was a Jalen Guyton, um, threw it into coverage, kind of an iffy decision, but he was going for it. And, uh, Guyton dropped it, um, in the middle of the field there late in the second quarter. But really, uh, he was decisive. He made smart decisions. He protected the football. He found the open man. Um, and I thought part a big part of that too was Shane Steichen really calling just a brilliant game. Um, the play calling, the play design was outstanding. The timing of the play calls was outstanding. It seemed like they roped the Jaguars in and then they'd just suck them in and throw the ball over the top. Um, they found things that work and ran them multiple times and they continued to work. Uh, I mean, just everything about that offensive game plan and the play calling was perfect, and Rivers took advantage of every opportunity he had, and he looked great. And the offense probably hasn't—I mean, it hasn't looked that good all year.
0: I I think uh, maybe Green Bay up there too. uh, Steichen's first game, but those two—the Green Bay game and this Jacksonville game—I mean, were exactly what you would expect from an offensive coordinator uh, going to their strengths when it was working keep pounding it down. Uh, the run game was working. Uh, Austin Eckler was working. They were able to, su- like you mentioned, kind of rope a dope them. They were slowly giving them body shots. They'd beat him over the top with Mike Will or, or deep pass to Keenan Allen, hitting Hunter Henry deep. There were so many times that they were slowly giving them these body punches and then the knockout punch later and the touchdown would happen. This was what you thought would happen after the Green Bay game, but then Steichen kind of fell back into – what Wiz was doing and kind of going away from things that were working. Like uh, we talked about last week where they threw that fourth and one pass short mm-hmm. of the sticks to Keenan Allen uh, when their running game was working, uh, going away from the run in the second half earlier in the year. It just – Uh, This was very good by Steichen. Phillip Rivers was so good. Highlight for me was uh, that play, like you mentioned, that touchdown, the two-minute drill where Eckler caught a ball. He ran down the sideline. They tacked on some extra yards on the uh, face mask, and it was set up on the the Jacksonville 30-yard line. They ran a fake handoff to Justin Jackson to the left, Rivers rolls right. What? Rivers rolling right? What are you talking about? (laughs) So they sent that extra man, Keenan Allen, over to that side to help him, to help give him some extra time. And then Hunter Henry pretends to block. He uh, carries it out, leaks out open down the sideline. It was just so beautiful. Everything was perfect on that play. We never see things like that. Completely uh, creative. The uh, other big throw was that touchdown pass to Mike Williams in the third quarter. Uh, beautiful ball. Even better play by Mike Williams. Come down with it. He had Herndon fighting with him on the ground. On top of that, Mike Williams uh, dunks the ball, which uh, I think was maybe one of the dumbest moves we've seen this year <laughs> in terms of a penalty. Because he said Keenan Allen said, oh, you dunked on that corner, and then he dunked the ball, and he didn't know that was a rule. Like, of course he knows that's a rule. That's bullshit. Yeah, we Everybody knows that's the rule. Everybody was dunking the ball in the goalposts, like what ten years ago. Everybody was doing it. Everybody was dunking the ball, and then they were like, "No, we're not doing it. We're outlawing this." There's no scenario where he did not know you cannot dunk the football.
1: Yeah, bad bad excuse by the, the third year player trying to tell us he didn't yeah. know it was didn't know it was a rule. But it sounds like Philip and Keenan are gonna split the the fine for him. Yeah, oh, so yeah, the, I heard the that, veterans yeah. are picking it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, great game by Rivers and you know, it didn't matter on the on the Williams uh penalty anyway, but uh every, everything was clicking. Everything looked great and uh, I know a lot of people are going to come after us because we uh were kind of railing against uh, Rivers a little bit a couple weeks ago during the bye, but uh look, he he was great on Sunday and um you know, we won't stay prisoners of the moment. We'll see how it rolls out the rest of the year, but uh just an incredible game by Philip Rivers on his birthday.
1: Yeah, he played great. Um, like I said, made good decisions pretty much the whole game. Um, was on point in terms of his accuracy the whole game. Got the ball out quickly. He looked great. He was awesome, and I I really think that they did a lot of things to help him. A lot of uh, Steichen in addition to the play designs. You know, there were a lot of plays where they had extra offensive linemen on the field. There were some two and three tight end looks out there on the field. There were plays where Gordon and Eckler were on the field together. Gordon and Jackson were on the field together. Lots of motion. Um, just a lot of brilliantly designed plays. Uh, you know the the play they started the game with, the little counter to Eckler off the right tackle, where they they motion Keenan across the formation. He blocks the the wide receiver, and then Henry comes out and takes out the linebacker, and they just create a nice little seal for him there. They ran that play again later in the second quarter and got another big gain on it to the other side of the field. Um, they just, they found things that worked. They got, they got the the Jacksonville Jaguars confused. They had them looking at the wrong things and reacting to the wrong things and throwing right over the top to them. Uh, it was just, it was masterful. I mean, it was a masterclass in play calling and, it seemed like they're starting to find their identity in the red zone. Uh, Granted it was against a bad defense, but you know, they're throwing the ball up until they get into the five yard line. And once they're in the five inside the five yard line, it seems like they're really trying to run the ball, uh, with power behind Watt with Gordon for the most part, which I'm on board with. And the other big thing that we saw lots of quick passes to the running backs. Um, lots of swing passes, a big screen to Eckler, um, a couple of uh, wheel routes, just lots of big plays on short, quick passes in space. Trying, you know, challenging the Jacksonville uh, linebackers to tackle the running backs in space, to cover them in space, and they couldn't do it. And they just kept going back to it. It was really, really a thing of beauty. Um, big kudos to Steichen for the game he called. It was really very well called.
0: Yeah, yeah. Austin Eckler, you mentioned. Man, he was as good as it gets on Sunday. He finished 100 yards on the ground, 100 yards in the air. And he did it with only eight carries and four receptions. So super effective. He's got 830 total receiving yards on the year. He's actually on pace to break 1,000 yards, which would make him the fourth running back to do so in NFL history. He, uh, I also read today, I think it was from Fee, Field Yates, who said that Eckler has 128 straight targets without a drop, which uh, I think is questionable because in that fourth quarter, Austin Eckler dropped a pass. Now, it was high, and he had to jump for it, but it still hit him in the hands. But I guess it doesn't uh, count as a catchable ball, but it seems like if it hits you in the hands, he didn't have to jump that high for it. But regardless, uh, 128 times he's been throwing the ball and uh, hasn't had a drop, which is great. And that screen that you were mentioning, that 84-yard screen to Eckler, was the longest touchdown pass from Phillip Rivers ever in his career, which I couldn't believe when I heard it. Uh, Of course, it's uh, the biggest of uh, Eckler's career too, but... um, Man, just wild. They had the jailbreak blitz. It was the perfect time. We're talking about a masterful game plan. Jailbreak blitz. They send an extra man. They have nobody to count for Eckler, and he is off to the races with Scott Questenberry, following him 30, 40 yards downfield. It was awesome. That's my RB1 right there, Austin Eckler.
1: Yeah, Eckler is amazing. Um, I think at one point at halftime, he had four carries for 92 yards (laughs) in that game. Uh, and he was averaging at one point. I think after his first three carries, he was averaging twenty-seven or twenty-five yards a carry, something ridiculous like that. So, um, just explosive. There were a couple of cuts he made in the open field that just—it just seems like his hips swivel three hundred and sixty oh, degrees in the open field. The safety. Yeah. That's the one I'm talking about. There was a yeah. little oh, draw God. play up the middle where he made a cut in the hole. He's about ten yards downfield, and his hips. I swear to God, his hips just rotated three sixty. And he made the safety (laughs) miss. I mean, he stopped on a dime, just did a little, like, like a little dead leg shimmy and his hips swiveled and the safety had no chance. And he picked up another couple of yards. Um, The things that guy can do with his body, the way he contorts and shimmies and all that is just ridiculous in space. Um, I don't know how you tackle that guy.
0: So just uh, moving on to defense a little bit, uh, we saw Derwin James. He uh, was starting to get back in the groove a little bit on Sunday, which was awesome. Uh, he got that pass deflection while on Minshew's face. And um, seems like that injury is no longer bothering him at all on the air that he got on that batted ball, which to me is less of a pass deflection and more of a block shot. <laughs> because that looked like in basketball, that ball's going in the stands. Like he sent that 10 yards.
1: And he was pissed he didn't catch it. I don't know if you saw oh, his reaction. He was really <laughs> yeah. pissed that he deflected yeah. it instead of catching it. He actually overjumped it. He jumped so high, the ball hit him in the forearm.
0: Yeah. So it uh, doesn't seem to be bothered by that uh, that foot after all. And um, another great play was that open field tackle in space on that fourth and one in the fourth quarter. I mean, we're, that's the 2018 version of Derwin that we've all been waiting for. He was second on the team in tackles behind Tranquil. And he was feeling himself on Sunday. And also, while watching that game, just a side note, while watching the Jags, just remember that the Chargers almost picked the Jags, the now Jags defensive tackle Taven Bryan in the 2018 draft. Luckily, Derwin James fell to them. I mean, they almost traded back in the first and got Taven Bryan. He hasn't been that good this year, but uh, it all worked out for the Chargers. Uh, They did not get Taven Bryan, and lucky us because we get to watch Derwin James every Sunday.
1: Yeah, I don't think Bryan's really been playing all that much, has he?
0: No, uh-oh. I mean, uh, you know, I actually looked it up and I'm like, would Taven Bryan been a better pick than Jerry Tillery? And uh, you can probably answer that question with a healthy scratch on Sunday.
1: No. <laughs> yes. I would say yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Taven Bryan would definitely be an upgrade.
1: Uh, yeah. James looked really good. And I think the closing speed was something that we were kind of waiting to see after that foot injury. He had a, quite a few plays where he closed on the perimeter and cut, um, cut running backs and receivers down in the backfield yep. or near the line of scrimmage, just reading and reacting and closing in a hurry. So he he looked really, really good. It's nice to have him back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Tranquil, Bosa both look great too.
1: Yeah, Tranquil, I mean, he had, I think, what, four tackles in the first five offensive snaps for the Jaguars? Something like <laughs> that? And I think he had five tackles at the end of that first possession.
0: Exactly. He had five of his eight tackles in that first possession.
1: And... The thing that surprised—not surprised me. The thing that impressed me watching him, watching the game back tonight, was the way he was anticipating where the ball was going. Uh, There were a couple of plays where he beat uh, pulling linemen to the spot to make a tackle for a loss or tackle somebody right at the line of scrimmage and cut down a play. Uh, He was constantly at or behind the line of scrimmage, disrupting running plays. Um, He was right. He was on point in the passing game. He looked. Fantastic! Uh, He just keeps getting better and better. You can see his confidence growing. Uh, Just love the anticipation. He's so smart, and he he just knows where the ball is going when the ball is snapped, and he's closing a lot of times before the quarterback is even unloading the ball. Um, The ability to beat linemen to the spot is just fantastic because we just haven't seen a Chargers linebacker who can do that in quite a while.
0: Yeah, no, he was great. Yeah, led the team in tackles like I mentioned earlier. Uh, His tackling was so good on Sunday, and you're talking about being disruptive. I mean, he was everywhere. Not just on that first drive where he had the five of his eight tackles, but he just seemed to be in everybody's area wherever the ball was. He just he was around the football on Sunday, and there were a lot of uh, dump offs from Minshew. He just he didn't really get in a rhythm, couldn't really get the ball downfield. And there were a lot of dump offs, and there were a lot of quick closing tackles by Drew Tranquil. A lot, you know, there were dump offs to was whether it was Fournette or the uh, tight end O'Leary. They were just quick two three yard gains, tranquil's on top of it tackling them minimal gain, and another thing we saw on Sunday. Uh, so I thought he looked good in coverage, great in the run game. Uh, something that I saw a lot more on Sunday was a lot more blitzing. Mm-hmm. They sent tranquil out from the second level, they let him blitz from his linebacker spot. I let him go around the line of scrimmage and roam a little bit and blitz. Uh, one of his was one of the quote unquote pressures where he was in Minshew's face, uh, forced a quick throw to Adrian Phillips on a third down where Adrian Phillips closed. It wasn't to uh, Adrian Phillips' man, obviously. Adrian Phillips uh, closed on a third down, and then they had to punt. Uh, but a great play by Phillips and Tranquil, who's in Mintu's face. Uh, awesome. They're letting him go. He's obviously comfortable enough to let him off his leash a little bit more this week, too. So Tranquil's letting it loose. His tackling has been great. Good in the run game. Coverage is good. Uh, can't say enough good things. A very good performance on Sunday again.
1: Yeah, he just gets better with every game. Uh, yeah. Just... You can tell he's a leader out there. He gets what's going on, and he's just always around the football. There were several plays, maybe five or six more plays just in the first half alone, where somebody else made the play, but he was right there and would have made it had that had that person not made the play. So yeah, there was yeah. One of them
0: was that huge five year loss. I was just uh, going to mention Leonard that. Fournette. Yeah, yep. Brandon Faceon got it, but Tranqu- Tranquil was right there in the area. He
1: was right behind Faceon and was closing. Yep. So yep. Yeah he. There were several plays like that, I thought in the first half, especially where it looked like he was right there right on point ready to make that tackle if if the first man up missed it, so he's i'm I'm excited about him,
0: yeah, yeah, also of course, gotta be excited about Joey Bosa and adding two more sacks on Sunday,
1: yeah, Bosa with four tackles, two sacks three three tackles for loss uh he was very busy in the run game um he seemed like he was constantly in in Minchu's face had those two sacks. See, I thought there were he had a couple more opportunities to get to get sacks and just didn't quite get there, but he looked really good. He looks like he's he's playing like a man possessed. Like he's playing with with a purpose, a man on a mission there. Um just looks determined to not be beat every play. Not taking any snaps off, not quitting despite the record, just playing hard and out there earning every penny he's going to get on the monster deal he's going to sign probably in the offseason.
0: Oh, absolutely. So he broke double digits this weekend. He now up to 10.5 sacks on the season. Two more sacks, he ties his career high in 17. And I was thinking about this during the game. Bosa really kind of backed up his whole call to arms that he did earlier this season mm-hmm. where he was, you know, he said, I'll still be working. Amidst all this losing, He he was going to get it done. He was going to go into work and he was going to grind. And he has put up, and uh, he's not a guy that is going to mail it in because the season is lost. He's working his ass off, and he's back to playing at an elite level. And the Chargers are going to have to open that checkbook up to keep him around, obviously. But that whole thing where it's like, well, I'm going to be here. you know. I don't know about the other guys, but I'll be here. We're going to see gonna who work. wants
1: it. That's what he's saying. Yeah. We're, we're going to see who wants it.
0: Yeah, and Bosa wants it.
1: He definitely wants him. it seems like guys are rallying around him. Yeah, that defense is still playing really, really hard in spite of the fact that they're five and eight.
0: That, oh yeah, definitely. And uh, another thing about this game, you know, it, it's funny because last week, kind of, you know, was railing against the Chargers, uh, say, and they went and did a whole one eighty on us. And you know, I, I talked about how like last week. They hadn't scored an opening drive touchdown. They'd scored nine points. And, of course, they go out and they score a quick touchdown. It was three plays, 79 yards. It took a minute and 37 seconds. And uh, of course, you know, we talked about how once they're down after the first quarter, they've never won. They went up big in the first quarter and they never looked behind. I mean, Jacksonville was in the rearview mirror. It seemed like as soon as the Chargers went up 7 3, when Jacksonville settled for that field goal on that long running drive Mm -hmm. to start the game, it was over. It was pretty much over. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, like I mentioned, that, you know, Green Bay might have been that quintessential you know, what they could have been game because of the uh, level of competition with the Packers. But Sunday was so close. Everything was clicking. It couldn't have got any better. They didn't have any major injuries. Everybody looks great. Everybody contributed from Eckler, Rivers, Mike Will, Hunter Henry had a touchdown. Watt got a a touchdown. Gordon got a touchdown. I mean, everybody contributed. Um, Of course, no uh, wide receiver three again contributing. We got that bad drop. But You know, uh, having Watt score his first career touchdown on that uh, third and one carry, looking really good on special teams too, probably should be in the running for uh, special teams not on the Pro Bowl, but um, great to see him get a touchdown, he's worked his ass off this year, he's looked really good not only in special teams, but blocking ahead of Gordon, a great job from them, and a complete turnaround from what we were complaining about last week.
1: Yeah, a couple more guys I wanted to mention too, Um, I thought Brandon Faison played really well, again, especially against the run, there's a... Level of physicality to his game and toughness to his game that I'm not sure is in Michael Davis's game. Uh, His ability to come up against somebody as big as Leonard Fournette and make tackles in the run game is really impressive. And for the second week in a row, it didn't seem like they really challenged him at all. And he wasn't a liability in coverage. So Faison had another solid game. And then Kaiser White, even though the stat sheet doesn't really jump out at you, he only had three tackles. He was on the field a lot because they were playing a lot of base defense, particularly in the first half against some of the Jaguars' larger packages. And I thought White did a fantastic job of setting the edge. All three of his tackles were plays where he was setting the edge. They ran to his side. He shed his blocker and made a play in the running game. He had a couple plays where he looked really good in coverage. Uh, He just looks like he's really growing into his role as the Sam. I still wonder if he's really big enough to hold up there long term because he's not the largest linebacker, but you know, he's a tough kid. He's hanging in there, setting the edge. He looks good in coverage. I think he's another guy that they could blitz and get something out of if they need to. Um, so I thought White looked really good in that Sam role for the second week in a row. Again, stats aren't really jumping out at you. He's not racking up a whole lot of tackles, but that's not really what his role is. But he is finishing tackles when they run to his side. He's holding that line, the line of scrimmage, shedding blockers and making plays. So... Um, I thought White looked really, really good on Sunday.
0: Quietly had a really good game again. Um, last week was the same thing. Didn't record that interception. Uh, got got that pass defense. But, you know, quietly doing a very good job for two weeks in a row. Uh, we might be seeing how things are starting to shape up a little bit going into the future in that Uchenna Nwosu might not be that Sam long-term. It might be that Leo long-term since Ingram's getting up there. And then you've got White playing on the edge. I, I would like to see more tranquil and white side by side. I, I'm not sure why they won't play him at will, but regardless uh, that he's got a role now is awesome. And he's showing up for two weeks in a row. I totally agree with you on face on. And I think it is uh, very big of him and big of him. And he's earned it because he's played great for two weeks with Michael Davis suspension. And having such a bad start to the year where he's being completely picked on and th- basically saying, I-, I don't think you could stop us at all, and going back at face on over and over and over again with success Coming back and having the two games that he did is really good. So that turnaround is good to see because that's a guy they they liked going into camp, uh, liked his uh, some of the special teams work he did his rookie year. So um, obviously stepped up big. And I think we got a competition at CB two now. I didn't think it was very close when we saw Faceon kind of you know uh, tank towards the beginning of the year, but now you know we're starting to look at guys and starting to evaluate who's got a role long term. Faceon might not lose his job i think FaSon has earned the right to be the cb2 for now um and until you know michael davis can take it back so i thought i agree with you on uh Faison. i agree with you on uh white uh, another side note you talked about how they went uh jumbo packages a lot they had uh a few elephant packages on sunday and the extra lineman was the uh number 72 ryan groy who uh they played a lot uh, got, got some garbage time minutes later. He had 16 total snaps, but they ran him two or three times uh, in the first three quarters in uh, jumbo packages. Two for sure. I think there was a third, but he was that extra lineman, and he's been that extra lineman recently. Uh, like I mentioned, Jerry Tillery was a healthy scratch. Trey Pipkins was also a healthy scratch, so the first and third round picks uh couldn't even suit up on Sunday. And so they seem to like Groy a little bit more than Pipkins right now. And uh the reason Tillery didn't play was uh was Lynn said he that um, oh, he preferred sorry. well no, he no, he actually uh he didn't go that far. <laughs> he said he preferred Sylvester Williams and stopping the run. So he said it was more of a matchup thing. But uh Man, it would have been nice to get some uh, extended looks uh, at uh, Jerry Tillery in that fourth quarter in garbage time, but of course he's you know in street clothes, and uh, so that's that's a whole another thing. They don't have any of their day one or day two picks playing at all, you know, really right now.
1: Little surprising though, after the way Pipkins kind of stepped up when uh, Okun was hurt, especially when he was out for the last couple of games. He I thought he played pretty well in spots and looked like he was developing pretty interesting to see them have him be a healthy scratch this week and you'd Mm -hmm. you'd think he'd earn the right to be on the roster if they're going to carry an extra lineman but maybe it was a maybe it was just a game plan thing because of some of the plays they had dialed up but yeah groy was on the field i can definitely think of two plays i know he was on the field for melvin gordon's touchdown run on the first possession he was on the field for hunter henry hunter henry's touchdown and i feel like there was maybe one more
0: yeah yeah, those are the two I was thinking of too.
1: So, you know, you were kind of talking about um, what the future might look like at the linebacker position with regard to Acheno Nwosu. You know, we've talked about this in the past about how he's really not suited to play in the sand because you don't really want him in coverage that much. What do you think the Chargers should do with Melvin Ingram moving forward? Because five and a half sacks, he's not putting up huge sack totals. Uh, numbers are kind of down, although I think he's playing well on the whole. He had a good game against the run on Sunday, in particular. Um, you've got Nuosu, who was a second-round pick, playing behind him. They need to find some snaps for Nuosu. And Ingram's contract expires after 2020, and he's going to be 31 in April. So, what would you do with him? Do you think would you give him another deal? Do you think that's somebody that maybe you look to trade and get a, get Nuosu on the field and kind of evolve that linebacking core? Because um, it seems like. They're kind of grooming Nuosu to be the long-term Leo. And they need to get Kaiser on the field. They need to get Nuosu on the field. And I don't know that they're going to be willing to invest much in Ingram at 31 when his contract expires. So how would you handle that if you were Telesco?
2: With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Yeah, we've talked about that and it's interesting. I think the natural progression is to just let him walk in free agency and let Uchana Nwosu slide right in there because that's the how the you know, the natural progression of things. But it all depends on how good Melvin Ingram plays next year. I wouldn't mind bringing him back for another year or two and start to split those snaps a little bit more evenly and uh, slowly bring Ucheno Nwosu on. That's kind of where I'm leaning right now. Maybe giving him a a two-year deal with that, you know, parachute after year one and you can just rip that court if you need to because, you know, it happens with all football players when they hit 30. It starts to go downhill and it goes downhill fast. So, you know, I wouldn't mind giving him another contract for two years, but I would, I would start to, at the very least, start to split their snaps a lot more because I don't think they quite know what to do with Nuosu right now, and uh, it just seems like you got to get him on the field more. Joey Bosa, you can't take off the field, but while Ingram's playing great, and I thought he played really good on Sunday, uh, kind of contained uh, Minshew for the most part on Sunday, which, which I liked. Um, but uh you know i I just think you gotta start uh, mixing those snaps up a little more a little bit more and get nuoso on the field. Are you signing him after that i I'm, I'm I'm willing to give him a two year contract. Are you willing to give him a one or two year deal?
1: I'm looking at what the chiefs gave up to get Frank Clark, and I'm wondering if maybe you get a day two pick for Melvin Ingram or maybe more You know the chargers are in kind of a they're in kind of no man's land right now right they've got a 37 year old quarterback depending on who you listen to either they're going to re-sign him or they're ready to move on uh maybe they take a quarterback maybe they don't uh, they definitely need offensive line help they've got to, they've got to find a long term replacement for their left tackle even with Pipkins on the roster they need something they they'd be smart to take somebody else behind him they don't have a right tackle per se unless they want to kick Pipkins out there or Scott so they're they're in a need for draft capital They need to figure out if they want a quarterback or take a lot of offensive linemen. They maybe want to trade up and collect picks to trade up. I think there's an argument made here for being proactive, something the Patriots would normally do, and maybe seeing if somebody's willing to give up a day two pick or more for him and see if maybe you trade him going into that last year of his contract. Let somebody else pay him for the downside of 30. You've probably already gotten the best years out of him that you're going to get. So instead of paying him for what he's done, let somebody else pay him for what he used to be. Trade him, get some draft capital, and see if you can start either rebuilding the offensive line or package some picks to move up for a quarterback or whatever it is that you figure you need. But you figure a pass rusher like him with his reputation, he's gonna, he'd have some interest if you were willing to move him.
0: Yeah, oh, he'd definitely have some interest. I, I find it hard to believe that you get a day two pick for him on the last year of his deal, turning 31. I guess if you're re-signing him, it makes yeah. I mean, if you if you can get a day two pick out, I would I would send him out the door.
1: I, mean, I would what definitely the, make that move. <clears throat> what did the Chiefs give up for Frank Clark? And how old is he? I think he's around the same age. They were in the same draft, I think.
0: That doesn't sound right to me. No,
1: well, actually, Clark is twenty six. I thought they were. I thought they were in the same draft. I guess I'm wrong. Yeah. I could have sworn they were in the same draft.
0: No, I don't think so. Because I think we covered Frank Clark in our draft shows hmm. when we first started.
1: We might have, I could have sworn they were in the same draft class so much for that argument, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I understand. I mean, the thought of being proactive, uh, is very smart. It makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you know, you're not going to resign him or if you feel like he's going to price himself out of town, why not be proactive and get that ready made replacement in there? I think, you know, I think one player is headed up. One player is probably on the decline. So, maybe try to take advantage of that and get that, get Nuoso on the field a little bit more. So, just a thought. Um, I probably would not re Ingram. Like I said, I think, even though I think he's still a good football player, I think if you pay him again, you're paying him for what he was instead of what he's going to be in the future. And I don't think you really want to get into that. I have a feeling because of the way they structured the deal with him the first time around, they're probably not going to want to get into that either. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking ahead already and saying, okay, Ochena, you're the guy and just trying to figure out how to how to make that transition
0: yeah well yeah we will see uh for now we're done i am at garrisisti on twitter jamie
1: at lightning underscore round
0: and we will see you next time
1: thanks everybody